Support for I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere comes from MX Publishing. With the largest catalog of new Sherlock Holmes books in the world. New novels, biographies, graphic novels, and short story collections about Sherlock Holmes. Find them at mxpublishing.com. And by the Wessex Press, the premier publisher of books about Sherlock Holmes and his world. Find them online at wessexpress.com. And from listeners like you, who support us through Patreon. Bonus material, thank you gifts, and more await at patreon.com slash I Hear of Sherlock. I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, episode 250, a Sherlockian semi-quincentennial. I hear of Sherlock everywhere since you became astronomer. In a world where it's always 1895, comes I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, a podcast for devotees of Mr. Sherlock Holmes, the world's first unofficial consulting detective. I've heard of you before. You're Holmes the meddler, Holmes the busybody, Holmes the Scotland Yard jacket officer. <laughs> the game's afoot as we discuss goings-on in the world of Sherlock Holmes enthusiasts, the bigger streeter regulars, and popular culture related to the great detective. As we go to press, sensational developments have been reported. So join your hosts, Scott Monty and Burke Walder, as they talk about what's new in the world of Sherlock Holmes. You couldn't have come at a better time! Well, Bert, this is it. Did you ever think we'd make it to our 250th episode? Oh, it's been so difficult along the way, having to stop for provisions and <laughs> refresh ourselves with water and step on, step into the little towns and find out what's going on across the country. But yes, at last, we've managed the great trek. Although, in naming this episode, in titling this episode, you've really missed an opportunity. Oh, tell me. You should have named it our 350th episode. Uh, you know what? That's not a bad idea, because then it would have only been 150 more episodes right. to our 500th. Right. Exactly. Oh. We'd be a lot closer. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've doubled our effort here. Yeah, well. Well, well F everyone, welcome, welcome, welcome to I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast for Sherlock Holmes devotees, where it's always 1895. I'm Scott Monty. I'm still Burt Walder. Excellent, excellent. And we have made it here with you, 250 episodes. For those of you who have made it through all 250 episodes, I can only say, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, if you've made, made it through all 250 episodes, in the weeks and months ahead when you should encounter either Scott or I... Uh, all you need to do is give us the secret sign. Just whisper in our ears, 250, 250. And we will give you, uh, each one of you, a 500 milligram tablet of ibuprofen uh, by way of our recompense in the hopes that we can eliminate to both the ringing in your ears and the perennial headache that you've now developed. Now I I think that's that's just it, and um, you know the we we will have uh, extra bonus material for our Patreon 
uh, supporters, because you are so loyal to us, we wanted to give you something extra. There will be outtakes. There will be flubs. Uh, maybe some additional clips that we are reminiscing about uh, here on our 250th episode. Uh, but if you are on Patreon, not only will you get this show ad-free, but you'll also get those bonus clips as well. So that's our way of saying thank you to our faithful supporters, in addition to some of the thank you gifts that uh, we we get out. And just so you know, folks, we are a little behind on the thank you gifts. There is an automated process we use for the bigger things, like our mugs. Uh, but for uh, things like our 221 stickers those are all manual so uh, we'll be getting to those uh, before the holidays close in and we just wanted to let you know that we are aware that you are supporting us at those levels and we do thank you and the gifts will be in the mail so stay tuned for that Well, Bert, this is usually the place where I read the biography of our standing guest. And in this case, we are reverting to a show where it's just you and I. And I thought, that, you know, there, there's a couple of things that we want to cover here. Um, the last time we did a show like this, a, a, a reminiscing show, that was our 100th episode, uh, which was all the way back in, I'm, I'm trying to look here, season 10 about six years ago so that our, our 100th episode uh hit on it was a sherlockian centennial uh that hit on july 15th 2016 so that was uh gosh eight years ago no six years ago <laughs> I, it was my understanding there would be no math on this show. <laughs> All right, let's split the difference and say it was seven years ago. <laughs> I like that. It I'll meet you halfway. Years ago. I'll meet you halfway. <laughs> Goodness, huh? Well, you see, you see how this is such a fine-tuned show. How uh, clearly everything is well planned out and well scripted. Yes. Uh, <laughs> No, that was in that was in 2016 uh, on uh, episode 100 from our 10th season. So we are now in our 16th season, mm. and you know we began this show in 2007 just as a on a, on a whim, as it were, uh, deciding to uh, to have this little conversation uh, with people, not knowing exactly what it would turn into, and it's really been remarkable and uh, you know i think about the the kinds of people that we've met over the years and and i i want to keep this show to the last 150 episodes because if you want to hear about the first 100 episodes we'll go back and listen to episode 100 mm. which is available at ihose.co slash ihose 100 that'll be in the show notes um but we want to talk mostly about what it's been like in the last 150 episodes, how the show has changed, how we've uh, managed to update the format, the kinds of people we've spoken to, some of our happy memories. And then we're going to get into uh, a series of clips that uh, Bert has been kind enough to uh, do the yeoman's work on and pull for us and uh, kind of explore a um, almost an arc, as it were, about Sherlock Holmes and how it affects our world. Yeah. Yeah, there's a plan. How about that? Like a man, that. a plan, Panama. Yeah, mm. here it is. So when when we when we last left off, 
<laughs> friends, you remember, it's like a cereal. Friends, you remember the last time we were together. Um, our last show about reminiscing was uh, on episode 100. And immediately after that, in episode 101, we met with our, our dear friend and the wonderful book-collecting mind and authority of Rebecca Romney, uh, which was a, a, a lovely way to enter kind of the the next phase of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. And she joined us again uh, later on, uh, just in the last uh, couple of years or so, when she talked about collecting Sherlock Holmes and how uh, different it is nowadays and how she's come across so many different uh, eclectic collectors that really have their uh, their own way of doing things. And I think it was just a, a wonderful kind of <laughs> set of bookends with uh, Rebecca uh, there in uh, episode 101 and again in, uh, in episode uh, 226, I think it was, talking about Sherlockian collecting. Yeah, well, you know, and, and Rebecca's a great place to start here because it's one of the thrills of doing this show. You're At least I, I'm sure you're the same way. I'm constantly pleasantly surprised and delighted. And getting to know Rebecca is one of the many delightful things that's happened over, you know, these years. And the interesting thing, a couple of really interesting things about Rebecca. First of all, She's very representative of a new generation of um, book collecting experts. And I won't bother to review, you know, her own particular path to that. But she's an example of someone who is an internationalist. You know, she worked for a time in Japan. She's very literary. And she and occasionally, you know, you get into these sorts of hobbies, the characteristic of which is that they were started decades ago, mostly by men, and they involve, you know, collecting volumes. And you say to yourself, gee, how long can this go on? You know, would anybody in a new generation be really interested in it? Well, yes, it turns out. And not only that, but Rebecca has a great story to tell about how she got into it, you know, by talking to um, experts, people like Richard Olkin and Peter Blau and others, who um, sort of introduced her to the world of Sherlock Holmes. So that's a window on how welcoming the Sherlockian world is. But also, Rebecca had some great thoughts about collecting, you know, and through Honey and Wax, um, she's instituted an annual award f that it basically exists to encourage, you know, new generations of female collectors. And so it's it's kind of like a firework, you know, that uh, goes off in this obscure little corner of Sherlock Holmes and book collecting. And it's very representative of, uh, of Rebecca and our conversations with her. Yeah. And I, I really, I really enjoyed those conversations with her. And it's, it's amazing because Rebecca was someone who first came to my knowledge and probably to many people as the resident rare book expert on the television show Pawn Stars uh, when she was located in Las Vegas. And, and since then, uh, you know, she did move on to Honey and Wax, and then she's founded her own shop uh, called Type Punch Matrix, and they are actually in the midst of selling off the collection of Curtis Armstrong, 
Uh, Curtis, of course, is a member of the Baker Street Irregulars and an actor. Folks may know him from uh, movies like uh, Revenge of the Nerds, Better Off Dead, uh, Ray, and uh, <laughs> more recently on uh, in animated uh, shorts such as uh, Dan Versus. Uh, he's just a, a remarkable yeah. individual, and he's a, an expert in... Uh, in Washington Irving, and he's a Woodhouseian. He joined yeah. us on episode 125 uh, when he was launching his book, Revenge of the Nerd. And we <laughs> talked about these nerd-like tendencies that we all share in terms of our collecting and our gathering with like-minded people. And for me, it was uh, just another wonderful example of how our hobby brings together uh, like-minded people in our own uh, our own little world. Oh yeah, and and it's just so much fun to talk to Curtis because he is so knowledgeable. He does have these other dimensions, this appreciation of Woodhouse, and in fact, we talked with he and his friend Elliot Milstein, who's mm. and it's another it's another um, textbook of friendship there, the long friendship that Curtis and Elliot have had, and the book that they collaborated on which um, about Woodhouse primarily, which was really fun, but also those kinds of things. Um, you know, and I had an opportunity at the Baker Street Irregulars Conference at Bear Mountain to spend a little time talking to Curtis, and he's just so interesting. You know, when you talk to him about um, his professional experiences, the characters that he's enjoyed, the experiences he's had on sets that have been rewarding, it's such a tough life being an actor. Um, and he has so much to say about, about you know, the great experiences of bringing some of the characters that he's, that he's played to life. And of course, he also had a recurring role on a couple of series. He was in... Um, Moonlighting. He was in, oh yeah, Moonlighting, sure, but more recently in uh, New Girl, where he mm -hmm. had a recurring role as... Uh, the title characters, <laughs> uh, fabulously goofy principal in the school where she were, where she was assistant vice principal. He was just, <laughs> he was just terrific in that. Ab absolutely, and folks probably remember him from uh, some other nerd-like uh, tendency uh, uh, shows like Supernatural. Yeah. Uh, you know, he really has a, a, a cult following there, which is great. But now, you, talk, you talk about Curtis and you talk about collecting. He's the only person I've ever met in all my years of doing things in the Sherlockian world who actually has owned two pipes smoked by Arthur Conan Doyle. That's true, yeah. Uh, just a wonderful, um, <laughs> wonderful connection to that world. One of them was still lit, by the way. <laughs> still burning. Yeah, it's like the eternal flame at JFK's <laughs> grave. There's someone that we have 24-7 uh, who makes sure that pipe stays constantly <laughs> it's, lit. It's just very spiritualistic. Keeps, keeps, I don't... <laughs> yeah, it keeps the spirit of Conan Doyle around. Yes. Now, in, that, in episode 143, where we talked about P.G. Woodhouse, uh, uh, Curtis was accompanied by his lifelong friend, uh, Elliot Milstein, but he was also accompanied by... Ashley Polisek. Oh, right. And Ashley also joined us on episode 177. Uh, well, as well as episode 109. Uh, 109 was, uh, let's see, was uh, behind the canonical screen. And that was the uh, book that she and Lindsay Fay put together for the BSI uh, canonical screen 
event out in Los Angeles where they looked at screen adaptations of Sherlock Holmes. And then, of course, in, in episode uh, 177, when she joined us for uh, being Sherlock, uh, this was a, uh, a Sherlockian stroll through some of the best stories. And the reason I bring Ashley up is because uh, she got her Ph.D. in adaptation studies. And there's another connection here to a couple of other episodes that we'll talk about in just a moment. But with Ashley's interest in adaptation studies, I think it really got us to thinking about how Sherlock Holmes is more than just the books. It's certainly more than just uh, a TV or multiple TV iterations all around the world. It really uh, opened our mind to exactly how uh, broad and wide the Sherlockian net is cast. <laughs> That's very well said. And the you know one of the great th- many great things about talking to Ashley is the insights she's brought to the Sherlockian world. So as you just pointed out, she's gotten her doctorate in basically Sherlockian studies, but she's an authority on adaptations. And until her presentation at the Gillette to Brett 5 conference, where we happened to both have the joy of being, um, in Indianapolis, in Bloomington, um, some years ago, I had never realized the effect of cinema technology and production workflows on how the cases of Sherlock Holmes were actually brought to the screen, big screen, small screen, whatever. And that was ju- that's just enormously interesting, and it's it's, it, it opens up a whole area of adaptation that I had never thought about that I think is really important in terms of storytelling. But more to the point, it's led to a great career for Ashley, who is now yes. an executive director working with Ken Ludwig, and among other things, has branched out into bringing things like Ken Ludwig's new uh, Rossini comedy, uh, opera, comedy comic opera based on the music of Rossini called Tenor Overboard. Um to life, and so you can see how these people, these creative people like Ashley, um, you know, have great careers ahead of them, but also get involved in all sorts of fascinating things in the arts. And that's one of the fun things about doing this show is talking to people in all corners of the arts about this common thread of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, and we uh, we did have that. Uh you, you mentioned Gillette to Brett Five. We did have that episode where we were live from the red carpet on uh, episode 154 there. And again, we'll be all of these episodes that we're mentioning, we will put um, not only in the show notes, but we will create a playlist on SoundCloud. So if you want to go back and just capture these particular episodes, you can get them in that playlist and you can get them through the links in the show notes. Um, I mentioned adaptation, and there there was one uh, interview that stood out to me. It was more along the uh, revisionary side. We talked with Nick Martorelli in episode 146, and Nick is a wonderful individual because he's so tuned in to uh, not only uh, pop culture, but he's also an audio geek like us. He works for Random House on their uh, their audio productions, and uh, I just I remember that um, that discussion with him about um, you know how we 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 go back and we can we can look at the inspiration of Sherlock Holmes in other 
adaptations, how Sherlock Holmes, and I know Nick loved to talk about this, how Sherlock Holmes uh, could be uh, connected to Boba Fett in the Star Wars stories, or uh, Mr. Spock in the Star Trek universe, and and how the Sherlockian world creeps into other fandoms, other hobbies, and how it is continually adapted. <laughs> yeah, well, Nick, you know, is, um, again, like, like Ashley and like Rebecca, sort of a whole world opens up when you talk to um, Nick Martorelli, but but to your point there about fandoms and things and characters like Boba Fett, who, by the way, in in the original series of Star Wars movies, appeared for a, a microsecond, <laughs> and right. and his big claim to fame was that he was killed by Jabba the Hutt. So if you mi- <laughs> if you blinked, you'd sort of no miss no this no guy. he was he was killed by Han Solo. <laughs> Please. Uh, well, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, all right. So he was, let's put it this way, he's dead. <laughs> but not really, as we've now found out, because there's really this great series, uh, you know, that Disney have uh, have brought back. But the point here is that that before he became a television series, Boba Fett, you know, just excited the interest of fans. And Nick is a, just a terrific fan. He's been very devoted and interested in Star Trek. He's gone into cosplay. He's also, he and I also correspond occasionally about the shadow. He's very interested like I am in pulp fiction. And um, it's, uh, you know, the fact is that Sherlock Holmes, Watson, Boba Fett, Star Trek, Mr. Spock, all this stuff um, continues to excite generation from generation the interest of creative and sensitive uh, readers and and they you know just produce some wonderful creative work as a result absolutely absolutely it has and the the thread here continues to run through uh, episode 160 adapting sherlock holmes where we talked with jeremy latour and ariel lipshaw from the podcast adapt or perish uh, i remember having this uh, discussion with them about uh, you know, they, they look at adaptations of all kinds, and they spent uh, a good deal of time on Sherlock Holmes as well. So it was fun to uh, kind of investigate that with them. And then uh, just this season, in episode 242, we spoke with Alison Brewster um, about foundational fandom and discovered that fandom doesn't simply extend to uh, Sherlockians or the Star Trek universe. It actually goes back to uh, the Middle Ages. And, uh, you know, she really opened our eyes to the, the common threads of fandom throughout history. Oh, yeah. Well, she certainly did. That was a great conversation. But that reminds me of also our conversation with Joanna Carlson in episode 239 about Sherlock Holmes in comics. I had no idea before we talked to Joanna about how long, you know, what that long history was like and how different and interesting the writers and the artists, uh, you know, their work was when they got to explore these different images of, uh, of Sherlock Holmes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're, we'll go... <laughs> That's we easy go. for you to say. Uh, well, you would think so. <laughs> We are going to take a quick break here and have a word from one of our longtime sponsors. And when we come back, we'll uh, listen to some clips from some of the shows that you perhaps 
remember, and love. Stay with us. We are back celebrating our 250th anniversary, our 250th episode here with you, and we're delighted that you could be here. Uh, you know, before we jump into uh, the clips that we have to play, we do want to acknowledge that we did get an audio message from one of our fans, and uh, I think it's appropriate for us to uh, share that now as we've been reflecting back on uh, the impact that we have had here on our uh, 250 episodes. Hi, Scott. Hi, Bert. This is Madeline Quinones. Um, hoping that you're not too sick of hearing from me. I just wanted to wish you guys a happy 250th episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. And also congratulations on the 300th episode of Trifles. And oh my gosh, like, how, how you guys like record six podcast episodes a month on average. And I mean, I know Trifles is, isn't as long, but holy cow, that's a lot. <laughs> I can't even manage to get one episode out regularly a month of my podcast. I'm in awe. I'm in awe. Anyway, um, I did finish listening to your back catalog like a few months ago, I think. And I've been doing a lot of re-listening ever since. I've learned so much. Oh, my goodness. And you guys are kind of like my comfort podcast. So earlier this year, I moved out on my own, and it's been a tough transition because um, I'm used to there being a lot of people around. I grew up in a big family. And so being gone my own has been tough sometimes. So I swore that I was never going to turn on the TV for background noise. And that left me with, you know, audio dramas and radio dramas and audiobooks and podcasts. And I love all that stuff. So that works out. But yeah, in the evenings I get lonely and I need some kind of human element. So I turn on, usually I hear Sherlock everywhere and it's just, it's really nice. It's just always nice coming back to it. It's familiar. It's fun. The two of you are lovely. The people that you interview are wonderful. And it's just really nice and I'm so grateful for you guys doing this podcast. It's really wonderful, and the two of you do a great job. So please keep it up. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to hear the next 250. So good luck, and thanks for everything. Bye, guys. Holy cow. <laughs> um, well, first of all, Madeline, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, can't tell you how much it, it means uh, to us that, uh, first of all, that you would take the time to do that. And second of all, the, the impact that you say we've had. I'm uh, just blown away, blown away by it. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that we can keep you company and that we are your comfort <laughs> podcast. I like that, that notion. You know, like we're, we're, we're like the mac and cheese of podcasts, the meatloaf of podcasts. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I uh, hear your, uh, 
your plaintive plea for us to keep going to 500 episodes. I don't know if we'll make it that far. <laughs> because let's, we already established at the top of the show that I'm not good at math, but let's just see <laughs> if we can play this out. We do, we do two shows a month. Um, so that is 24 episodes a year, which means that uh, it will take another 10 years for us to get another 200, I'm 10, 10 years ish to get 250 shows. Um, that's going to be quite a while, quite a while. That'll take us into our 26th season. Maybe if we cap it at 25 seasons, Bert, maybe, maybe that'll do it. See, this is, this is one of the things where your worldview needs some work. Okay. Because, <laughs> because you're kind of, you're like the guy who's sort of halfway up the mountain and wondering about, I don't know, you know, it's taken me so long to get here. I don't know. I'm going to be able to do it. I mean, let's figure it out. I just came 150 feet and I did that over four years. And now I got to do that. You know, you should be, you know, there's so much going on about mindfulness and about about being, you know, present in the now. You should just forget about all that stuff and, uh, and uh, you know, cast off, cast off the heavy burden of your math, which, as we know, is 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 uh, suspect. <laughs> and and come with me into the open and wide future where everything is possible. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he said not meaning it. <laughs> but, but to your point about Madeline, it's just wonderful to hear you. And by the way, we should say Madeline has her podcast. Her podcast yes. is Dynamics of a Podcast, which is the world's first podcast dedicated to Professor Moriarty. Yes, and we will have a link to Dynamics of a Podcast in our show notes because that's another show that you should check out. Yeah, but but to her point too, it's really important, you know, particularly when you're on your own, because you know the casual interaction you have with people during the day, you know, just uh, talking about do you want to have a meal or who's going to do the dishes or something, you know, it's important to take in a lot of information, and so I'm thrilled that I hear of Sherlock everywhere, you know, can be providing that level of comfort and interaction. And Madeline, if you don't do it, what you need to begin doing is arguing with us. <laughs> so, as you, so as you play yes. an episode, you need to be saying things like, well, that seems pretty superficial. What do you mean by that? That's, that's a dumb idea. You know, and I think that'll, that, that level of interactivity will, will uh, increase your enjoyment. Yes. Please uh, save us from each other. <laughs> Um, well, you know, it's interesting as I think back to how the show has changed over time. When we were originally doing the show, we, we were just talking about things that interested us. And I think that, in some cases, was off-putting to people who were on the fringe of the Sherlockian world. They didn't understand the inside baseball, and it didn't seem as welcoming as it might. And over time, we shifted to alternating one discussion episode between the two of us and one interview episode. Well, from a scheduling and production process, that became a little difficult to maintain. And beginning with episode 125, we turned this into an all-interview show where we called ourselves like the fresh air for Sherlock Holmes enthusiasts and for people who listen to Terry Gross and Fresh Air, you understand the reference there. We find interesting people and we bring them on and 
talk with them. And on occasion, you know, whether it's a celebratory episode like this or uh, perhaps there's been an interruption in our production schedule and we haven't been able to secure that interview, we will revert to this kind of discussion show. Well, you get that show every week over on Trifles, which we started uh, five, six years ago. So we've, we've really kind of lent ourselves more to the interview format now. So that's been one change that's happened since we celebrated our 100th episode. In addition, we've been ruthless with our Sherlockian quiz show for, gosh, I don't even remember how many episodes we've done this for now. Probably at least, at least 100 episodes uh, with, with canonical couplets where we give you two lines of poetry and then we ask you to, uh, to discern which Sherlock Holmes story we're talking about. It began, uh, we were inspired by uh, a piece that Richard Clark wrote for the Baker Street Journal in the original series where he actually did canonical couplets uh, for each of the stories. Well, we ran out of those after 50 or so that he wrote. And ever since then, Bert has been writing every single one of them. Which makes it all the more remarkable, Bert, <laughs> that you still can't figure out which story we're talking about by the time we come back to it each week. It's the advantage of a faulty memory. Well done. <laughs> well done. Well, uh, Bert, I'd like you to go with me now. Go into your memory bank. And we're, we're going to talk about some of the, the specific episodes that you pulled out as far as uh, your favorites or, or clips that tell a story. So I'm going to rely on, I'll be here uh, at the control board ready to hit the button on each <laughs> clip, but I want you to walk us through your story arc for 250 episodes of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. One of the things you learn when you listen to some of these episodes and find just little clips to tell a story is how, first of all, there's a lot here in terms of content, but how good it is. This is what you learn. When you cut out our convoluted questions <laughs> and, and just listen to what the guests have to say, you know, and these are some Amazing. really... <laughs> and these are some really, really smart people. And so as I look back, I found, uh, you know, sort of three or four shows that, um, you know, I think collectively tell a story. Now, you could go back before episode 100, uh, which, I'm, which I'm not going to do. But if you want to go all the way back, you can go listen to episode 85 with Nick Meyer. We're back in 2015. We had an opportunity to talk to him about what his writing process was and how he wrote 7% Solution and why he wrote it. And he had some, you know, great anecdotes. And if you want, that's just a fun episode to listen to. But, but Nick, you know, told us that basically what he did, actually, we reminded him because he'd forgotten and his papers are at the University of Iowa. He, 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 we reminded him that what he did was he reread the entire canon and made notes about story structure and how things developed before he put pen to paper. And he wrote, wrote it all in longhand. He couldn't type it. He found out that uh, typing it, you know, was just not getting the voice of Conan Doyle. So you could go back to that aspect of bringing Sherlock Holmes to life. But also, more currently, in this current swath of episodes we had 
a lot of fun talking to Frank Cho. And we got to ask him, uh, you know, all the kinds of questions that, that you can imagine asking somebody who's very creative about how they do what they do. I mean, imagine the ability to ask Edgar Allan Poe about his influences, about his writing process, about what was in his mind. And that's sort of how we started when we spoke to the great illustrator and artist Frank Cho in episode um, 188. And let's just start with the first of two clips from Frank Cho. Uh, I was a big fan of Bloom County by Burke Brassett growing up. Oh, uh, yeah. And also a huge fan of uh, early Mad Magazine uh, uh, with uh, Wally Wood and uh, Harvey Kurtzman, that era. And, uh, and I was a big fan of Calvin Hobbes by Bill Watterson. So it was kind of like, if anything, it was kind of like a combination of all three, uh, but mainly like uh, Bloom County. It, it was actually kind of a leap of faith for uh, Marvel because they saw me do all these uh, essentially Bigfoot cartoon stuff, you know, like uh, Carl Bark, uh, you know, Walt Kelly, you know, uh, the cartoon animal stuff. Uh, they didn't really see me doing the realistic stuff they didn't realize that my true passion is illustration. Uh, so like realistic stuff. And so people are surprised that I, I transition so easily from a very cartoony style to realistic style, mm. uh, very fast. But if anything, I've always been geared toward the realistic stuff. The cartoon stuff was a struggle because I had to kind of mm. like, uh, uh, alter my style, uh, into this Walt Kelly kind of style pogo style that I was really uh, trying to emulate. Uh, um, so, so it was kind of fun for me to like go back to my uh, original illustrated uh, uh, style. What's your, what's your general workflow like? I mean, I know it must differ by project. Are you digital end to end? Do you start out with pencil? Do you scan at the end? What's uh, do you, do you have a sort of a standard workflow? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, I'm, I'm one of the few Asians that uh, really suck at technology. <laughs> so uh, everything I do is traditional, is paper and pencil. And uh, so I do everything traditionally in the, you know, classic sense. And then once I finish drawing or painting, uh, then I scan it. And then I, and then I send the, uh, the scanned image to my editor or the different publisher. And that's how it, that's how I do it. Um, people have often asked me if I, if I draw things, uh, on the Wacom tablet and, you know, just draw digitally. And I said, no, I mean, because I, I just don't like, uh, I'm just not comfortable uh, with the technology. Yeah. And I, and I just prefer the feel of pencil and paper. And also, you know, um, half my income comes from uh, selling the original art. So if I do things digitally, I don't have the original art to sell. So, uh, so I prefer uh, everything uh, uh, traditional, the old-fashioned way. <laughs> and we also had an opportunity, you know, in that conversation to talk about the menus that Frank has been producing for the Baker Street Irregulars for their annual dinner, where he had... Uh, uh, you know, so, some interesting things to say, particularly about how long it took to do them. Well, I mean, early on, I decided to um, kind of bring back the classic uh, Sherlock Holmes look, that kind of the 19th century 
book illustration look, uh, like an engraving look. Um, the the guy that I was really uh, emulating was uh, Franklin Booth. Franklin Booth was this, was a master uh, inkline uh, illustrator. So I I love that look. Uh, he's the one that also inspired Bernie Wrightson's Frankenstein uh, book. So I really love that uh, look of that style. So that was I decided if I'm going to do Sherlock Holmes, it's going to be in that kind of that uh, that 19th century style look. Uh, so that's where uh, that's where I went. And and uh, unfortunately. Uh, all those line work is very uh, uh, time uh, intensive. The menu, each piece usually takes me about three days, you know? Yeah, so I'm actually gonna, and I've been kind of like thinking about the next menu already. Uh, and um, and I realized that I don't think anyone has done a portrait of uh, uh, is it, uh, Charles I, right? The Doing that for the, for the back cover and then from the front cover, I, I'm not sure, but at least at least focus on his head, of course, since right. he's not using it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, it's still attached. <laughs> yes. I like that. I'm glad you got that quip in there. <laughs> yeah, and that was back on March 15 of 2020, and Frank just had so much to say. You know, this is a guy who's a legend really in the comics world and is a fabulous illustrator, but to find out that he's got these inspirations that go back to people like Franklin Booth and, and also his background. He's the only, well, I think he may be the only famous artist we'll ever talk to who also has a nursing degree. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You know, and he, and, and talked to us about his early days in comic strips, you know, with the university squared and Liberty Meadows and what he was doing. Um, just a real, just a real treat to talk to Frank. It, it was, and you know, for us, you know, we've talked to other illustrators as well. Back in I think episode sixty-five, we talked to Tom uh, Richmond uh, about his work for Mad, and his illustration has actually graced the artwork for Trifles ever since then. And of course, in our earliest days, we talked to art collector Jerry Margolin on episode sixteen. Uh, so it was nice to see this kind of repetition of themes throughout. If you wanted to go back and create a, a playlist of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere episodes related to art, we could do that. And I think that's that's probably one of the most uh, gratifying things of going for as long as we have, 250 episodes now, Bert, is that we can begin to curate episodes and create collections of episodes that are meaningful to people, uh, perhaps who are new to Sherlock Holmes. We can have episodes related to um, Sherlockian societies. We can have episodes related to pastiches. We can have episodes related to television shows, to radio, to film. Uh, and we've actually done that on our SoundCloud account and uh, we'll provide a link directly to SoundCloud. You can go through and see the playlists that we've put together, things that are naturally occurring uh, because of the way we have conducted our interviews over the years. And here's a request, if I may, to our listeners. If, if there are patterns that you've seen that perhaps we've missed because we've been so close to it, if there are suggestions for how you might group ep episodes together, let us know. 
Shoot us an email at comment at IHearOfSherlock.com or get in touch with us however you may find us online. You can leave a comment certainly in the show notes for this episode at iHose.co slash iHose250, all lowercase. Um, that'll take you to that uh, episode uh, bookmark on the I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere website. You can leave a comment down below uh, in the in the show notes there as well. Uh, because we, we would love to uh, understand how you might think about some of our episodes. Are you like Madeline and, uh, you know, listen to the entire back catalog? Do you hop around? Do you look for particular themes? What are we missing? What are you looking forward to in the next... <laughs> dare I say, 250 episodes, what would you like to hear more of? What would you hear, like to hear less of? We're certainly open to your feedback. Excellent. So, and so moving on, there are just really two more shows I wanted to excerpt as part of this review of bringing Sherlock Holmes to life through different ways. Uh, you know, Frank Cho and his influences in art. And we've spoken over the years happily to so many people who are have portrayed Holmes on the stage and on the screen and on the speaker from an audio standpoint. But one of the most fun conversations we had was with the great Clive Marison back on October 15, 2020. Clive Marison, who, thanks to Bert Coolds and the BBC, has portrayed Sherlock Holmes in audio longer than any other human, I think more than, more than 20 years, the com basically the complete canon, but a series of new adventures, too, that BBC have done over the years. And we had a chance to talk to Clive first about you know, his thoughts about bringing the character to life. You don't really. I mean, I was aware that I'd been handed the baton by uh, Hobbo, of course, Carlton Hobbs, but uh, I didn't let that kind of thing. I, did, I tried to, to, to approach it as freshly as I could, mm. with no preconceptions, and um, and just give it freshness. And uh, one of the the bywords of my career has always been attack the cliche, mm. and uh, I, I, I tried to do that with. Um, with uh, Holmes and um, uh, certainly M Michael was always very determined that he was not going to play the old bluffer hmm. and uh, he would balk at any kind of oh Holmes you're amazing type acting he wouldn't do it hmm. um, but I mean in the end I, I, I just got entranced by his relationship with with Watson really that was the main thing I mean the um, the MacGuffins uh, kind of you just got, got on with those, yeah. but um, it was the, uh, the relationship, uh, which, of course, uh, Bert Cools uh, excelled at. And the, the Michael that Clive Merrison is speaking of is Michael Williams, who played Watson for a very long while in that series. And after Michael's death, uh, he was played by Andrew Sachs. And we had, in, as the conversation continued, we had an opportunity to talk to Clive Merrison about a variety of other things. His laugh, which, uh, you know, is a, is a feature, which we can uh, talk about for a second in our shows, but also the bookends. You know, we, we were able to play for him excerpts from the first Sherlock Holmes case, Study in Scarlet, and the last 
that he did and hear his reminiscences about some of his co-stars and, and the affection that he had for Michael Williams. Uh, yes, I, I just, uh, yes, I, I, I love that exuberance and, and, and the youth because they're young mm. and we're actually playing younger in uh, that opening, Study in Scarlet. I was in my mid-40s and Michael in his mid-50s, but we, we, we sound like boys. <laughs> it's sweet. Now, I and mean, uh, I, I always loved those um, those scenes together in uh, in Baker Street. Yeah, I, I always say I've, I've said in the past that uh, you know I could when the uh, that clock is ticking and the cabs outside and it's all quiet and the pipe is lit and the violins, uh, Michael and I could uh, we could make some jazz, mm. and uh, <laughs> that's what it sounds like. It, it sounds like two. Two actors that are very, very happy with each other. Not smugly happy, but just comfortable with each other and trusting each other. Mm. I, yeah. That that laugh, I think, was perfect. And it's wonderful yeah, well, to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Not everyone thought so. But the, the cruel thing is, uh, it, it, it's my laugh. Really? Uh, that's how I laugh. <laughs> and uh, people saying, yeah, they don't like the way I laugh. What else did you like about me? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in the end, we uh, we did drop it. Um, at some point, says, uh, yeah. Watson says, uh, w- one thing, Holmes, I- I've always wanted to say to you, he said, what's that, uh, Watson? He said, that laugh. <laughs> I said, what laugh? And uh, anyway, uh, Watson uh, tells him to stop it, and he puts it, uh, yeah, and he stops it. Well, I do remember lighting my pipe and burning my script at the same time and the, the whole thing went up uh, I remember that I remember having to cope with Brian Blessed you always have to cope with Brian because <laughs> he, he sucked the oxygen out of a room yeah but he's, uh, he's I think he was in two uh, he, he was marvellous but I couldn't take any more of him yeah so you know, people have been in it uh, one of the performances I most admired was Hugh Bonneville. Um, he, it was that um, story about the actor that is a murderer or something. Uh, Hugh turned up, and a lot of people don't prepare much for radio. They just let it happen. But he he was incredibly well prepared. He did, he got all this makeup uh, that he brought in, so that he, and he worked out exactly what to do when. I was very impressed by it. But my my favourite ones are always the ones where um, where Michael gets a lot to do, mm. because um, uh, as I said, uh, I was I was a fan of his, and I was a fan of his Watson. And of course, his his favourite was the um, the final problem. Mm. Yes, he, he loved that. It, it says I, I I wrote an obituary for uh, Michael in the Guardian, and I, I quote him as saying that uh, it had everything that. Um, he admired of Watson. Yeah, isn't that isn't that lovely? You know, to uh, you know, just hear those excerpts about his memory of of working on this all of those years, and um, how important the relationships, you know, were to him, and how much that came to life in the series. Bert Cool's has produced over the years for the BBC. Yeah, and I, I think back to that series, and it really, you do get the sense of this wonderful, warm, uh, caring friendship between the, the two men. And, and I think the, 
the casting couldn't have been more perfect in that series with Michael Williams uh, and later Andrew Sachs uh, just performing these roles to a much more, um, I think, sympathetic and empathetic audience. Uh, even though it's uh, modern times, we still get a sense that we're being taken back into those Victorian, Edwardian times with them, and it's, it, the relationship seems just very real, R- regardless of who's laughing, whether it's uh, <laughs> Clive Marison or even worse, Brian Blessed. <laughs> I like Brian Blessed, but then I didn't have to, you know, act with him in a small space. Overrate <laughs> <laughs> me at this table, I'm traced! I should point out, though, that that one of the people Clive Marison mentioned there is Hugh Bonneville. And Hugh Bonneville, of course, is known to some of our readers as Lord Robert Crawley for years in the Downton Abbey series. But but Hugh Bonneville's also acted with Paddington Bear. And he's just a terrific actor. And he's an example of the great supporting actors who came into that series over those years and the talent that the BBC have and England has. Also, you have people like Nicholas Briggs, you know, whom we've talked to. The great audio talent that is resident in that country. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, we've, you, you've mentioned uh, many actors, many voices, etc. I think it makes sense for us to complete our journey through these clips with, uh, with David McGregor from episode... Uh, was it 235? 235, yeah. David is a terrifically established writer. He plays stories, um, very thoughtful. And we were able to ask David, you know, just a great question, I like, at least in my view anyway. Why, why is it that Sherlock Holmes has endured? You know, why? what's going on here in this enduring character? And here's what he had to say. Well, I mean, he's been described as like the first urban hero, um, but I think it's more than that. I mean, I think you could argue pretty persuasively that Sherlock Holmes is the most successful uh, popular culture hero ever created. And it was the right kind of character at the right time in the right place with the right audience. And, you know, in the 19th century, there was a lot of consternation among the literary folk about, uh, on the one hand, we love the classics. You know, we love Homer. We love the Iliad. We love the Odyssey, but by the same token, when you look at classic heroes, they're not so great. I mean, like Achilles is like the poster boy for homicidal maniac, um, completely self-absorbed. And so he's not a very good example of uh, a modern hero. And in the 19th century, it was a real subject of consternation. You know, you had the so-called Newgate novels in the 1830s in which various criminals like Dick Turpin and Jack Shepard were criminals, but they were the heroes of these novels, and that's not good. And you had uh, novelists like William Thackeray or Anthony Trollope explicitly writing, this is a novel without a hero, because heroes are bad. Heroes are disruptive. Heroes cause problems. And then Arthur Conan Doyle came along, and you know the first two novels, Study in Scarlet, Sign of the Four, They did not make a huge impression at the time, but when the short story started getting published, all of a sudden the snowball started rolling. And it it was like, this is it. This is a hero that we can get behind. He's not homicidal. He's not a romantic hero. 
He's trying to make the world a better place. And he's trying to solve people's problems for them, both uh, you know, national problems, both personal problems. And uh, he became kind of the perfect modern hero for the kind of problems, the kind of situations that arise in a technological industrial society. Well, Fascinating, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really is. Really is. Well, I, I think that's a, a lovely smattering of clips that give us uh, a sense as to the the journey of uh, the character of Sherlock Holmes, uh, not only uh, through the last century and a half, but also through uh, the last hundred and fifty episodes. <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> I hear of Sherlock everywhere. Yeah, true, true. But just think about this, you know, when you think about the so-called daunting challenge of continuing. Right now in high school, you know, before they get to college, there are hundreds of thousands of kids, of men and women, women and men, um, you know, uh, as, as the grace of the speckled band has referred to over the years, new generations, how we envy them who are about to discover the world of Holmes and Watson. And what they do with it is, uh, I think, what will keep us going. We're moving into the holiday season, and what better time to plan for the gifts that you wish to give or the gifts you wish to put on your wish list. There's plenty to choose from at MX Publishing. Since we talked to you last, there are scores of new books available on the site. Things like The Valley of Fear, Black-Eyed Theater Script by Nick Lane, The Rediscovered Annals of Sherlock Holmes by Terry Gollidge, The English Garden Mystery, that's volume 11 of the McCabe and Cody series by our friend Dan Andreaco. And coming up in the weeks ahead, things like Sherlock Holmes and the Case of the Fateful Arrow by Daniel Victor, The Baker Street Archive by Mark Mower, The Hound of the Baskervilles, a Sherlock Holmes reader by Nick Rickey, and dozens and dozens more. Get on over to mxpublishing.com to check out what books you can put on your holiday shopping list today. Oh, I know you're waiting for this. It's everyone's favorite Sherlockian quiz show. That's right. It's Canonical Couplet, where we give you two lines of poetry, and you discern which Sherlock Holmes story we're talking about. Now, we gave away the secret that Bert has been writing these uh, for the last 50 or so episodes, and will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. And that's why, Bert, we turn to you to see if you remember or know the answer to the last canonical couplet we had in these parts. Seven in the evening, on a lovely summer's day, an exit through Holmes's bedroom, there was evil on the way. Bert, mm. I, I turn it over to your creative mind. 
<laughs> well, that's the last, it's easy, that's the last recorded case of Sherlock Holmes. That's the story of the German spy who was stealing British cattle on the eve of World War I. That was the case Watson called his last cow. Uh, I saw that coming. <laughs> I saw that coming, and I still could not dodge that bullet. No, you I don't know. Do I'm it. moving too slowly. Uh, well, very, very good, uh, but not correct. Uh, not correct. And of course, our old friend Eric Deckers has come to our aid once again. He says, Eureka, I've solved it. It's the story where Holmes dresses up as an old woman and fools everyone around him in order to find a stolen crown jewel. It's the adventure of Mrs. Doubt Sapphire, also known as Some Like It Holmes. <laughs> wait, wait a minute, toots, I spoke too soon, Eric writes. It's the adventure of the Mazarin Stone. Well, yes, Eric, that is correct. And uh, we will see who else among our listeners understood the assignment. And we will go to the big prize wheel and give it a spin. Watching it go around. And which lucky listener will it be? It's number 29. And that means it is Ray Reithmeyer. Ray, congratulations. Good to see your name here once again. We will send you a Sherlockian prize, something from our vaults, I think, is what we promised in the last episode, unless I'm mistaken. I'm looking at my records here. What do we have for uh, the last episode? It was a new Bentley, wasn't it? Yeah. My goodness. You know, I, I realized I haven't updated... <laughs> I didn't update the archives page, so I don't have it on my notes here. But rest assured, Ray, we will have something uh, appropriate sent, uh, headed your way. And now for our 250th episode, oh, we're going to have something very special coming out of the vaults here. I think, yes, I think we have an extra copy of the EBSJ on DVD, which is a significant prize, and it's appropriate for our 250th episode. So uh, please send in your, your guesses for this canonical couplet. Something killed and something burned, a seal with purple wax. We stagnate in the provinces, but still squeeze out the facts. If you know the answer to this canonical couplet, put it in an email addressed to comment, and I hear of Sherlock everywhere with canonical couplet in the subject line. If you are among all of the correct answers and we choose your name at random, you'll win. Good luck. And I think I may have flubbed the email address. It's comment at IHearOfSherlock.com. Comment at IHearOfSherlock.com. That's also the email you can use to send us Guess what? Any comments about the show? <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, appropriately named for its purpose. Uh, we're always happy to hear from you. Uh, and, of course, you can simply use that email address to uh, email us uh, an audio comment like Madeline did in this episode. Simply record something to your phone and attach it to an email, and it'll get to us that way. Well, I can't believe we've done it again, Bert, for the 250th time. Are you sick of it yet? 
No, no, it's uh, it's wonderful. It's uh, how many people have the opportunity, you know, to talk about something an interest like this that they love on a regular basis. Two, um, yeah. exactly two. <laughs> yeah, you and me. That's about it. Yeah, and and uh, to Madeline's uh, observation, uh, we've done it three hundred. 302 times now on trifles. So uh, you add 302 plus 250 and oh, forget it. You're I'm, back I'm to not math doing again. that. Call, call Professor Moriarty if you want a math problem solved. <laughs> well, in the meantime, this is the always multiplying Scott Monty. <laughs> and I'm trying to make sense of my slide rule. I'm Bert Wolder. And together for the 250th time, we say... The, the games of foot. The games of foot. I'm afraid that in the pleasure of this conversation, I'm neglecting business of importance, which awaits me elsewhere. Thank you for listening. Please be sure to join us again for the next episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast dedicated to Sherlock Holmes. Goodbye, and good luck, and believe me to be, my dear fellow, very sincerely yours, Sherlock Holmes. Amazing! Thank you.